Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to Tennis Channel Inside In. We're back on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network from the Santa Monica Studios. Mitch Michaels here, new show, new week. And we're joined this week by a guest, a current player, a current analyst. He was a two-time All-American and two-time ACC Player of the Year at Georgia Tech. He's been a pro for, what, five years now? Going on my fifth year, yeah. Five years, four challenger titles, keeping his rise up the ranks, and now working for Tennis Channel as an analyst, calling matches, working TC Live. Chris Eubanks, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. You have that perspective of the current player and also working as an analyst this week. Uh, and an interesting week to pick up. A lot going on, a lot of tournaments, women's matches, men's matches, Djokovic's return to like some form on clay. What's been your biggest takeaway from just working in this TV environment in the first week? It's a lot harder than it, than you might seem. I think a lot of players, we sit around and we watch matches, we hear the commentary, and we always have oh, what we would say or what we would have said, and oh, why would they say that? That doesn't make sense. But when you're kind of in the yeah. situation, you're, your mind is flooded with so much information from, you know, the player's clay court record over the past 18 months to their current record this year. Oh, they're, they're head-to-head with the opponent they're playing, and there's so much stuff going on in your head. It can be a bit overwhelming at times. So I think I have, well, I know I have a far greater respect for the, the art form of sports analysts and commentating and, 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 you know, having an opinion on, you know, sports in general. It, so it's not as clear cut and it's not as easy as a lot of people think. And I think I, I always had a certain level of respect for it, but it's just intensified after doing, being here for this week. You know, Jim Brady said the exact same thing to me because she was like, I have, I've always wondered how analysts or even former players say certain things or why they do. And then it was the TV show element. You have a minute to make your point during a highlight. You have all these things you want to say, and you have to cram it into, you know, a succinct thing. In terms of calling matches, is that something that you kind of felt more just being able to give your perspective? Because we can study tennis, but you're out there playing against these guys. Is that something that you feel like you added that perspective of knowing what it's like to compete against some of the matches the players are calling? Absolutely, and I think that that is the important aspect of having a player or former player sitting there and can kind of lobby on the player's behalf. There might be certain misses or shots that are, you know, hit in a match in which one commentator who maybe didn't play at as high of a level or, or maybe didn't play tennis at all and just really, really studied the art form of journalism and commentary, they might, you know, say something like, why would they miss that? How would they miss that? But from a player's perspective, you can kind of say, hey, I know it might look this way, but one thing that you have to account for is, yeah, it might have been an easy ball. For instance, in the, the Laszlo Giera and Novak match earlier, uh, a few days ago, Giera was up a set, 4-3, up a break, had a forehand relatively easy inside the service box and missed it in the net, completely turned the match on his head. Someone might look at that and say, well, how do you miss that shot? The one thing that isn't accounted for is Giera knows Novak's anticipation is so good, and he knows mm-hmm. in the position that he's in, he doesn't hit a really, really good ball. If Novak guesses right, I might be looking at, you know, a tough yeah. backhand pass going right by me. Novak didn't guess right, though. So it looks a lot worse on TV because Novak guessed the wrong way. He had the whole court. He missed it in the net. But having someone who can say, hey, 
you don't the amount of pressure that's in that yeah. moment, what is all going through his head, it, it's far more complex than just sitting there looking at a guy missing <laughs> a foreign inside of the service box. So in an isolated vacuum, it might look like one thing, but yeah, you absolutely. can provide the context. Yeah, yeah. you provide the context and ho- context and hopefully the fans at home can kind of decipher between the two because usually it's right there in the middle. Yeah, I think Jer would even say he shouldn't have missed that shot. Okay. I think most people would say he probably shouldn't have missed that shot. However, I think one thing that has to be said is players don't go out on court trying to miss shots or trying to play yeah. bad or trying to make dumb mistakes. There needs to be a player perspective that's in the booth that can lobby and say, hey, I know that's what you might think, but here's something else to think about. Right. And then you allow the viewer, whoever's watching it, to kind of make their own conclusion. Right. Well, I'm glad you didn't say, like, the makeup part of it was the hardest part, most challenging part <laughs> all the time you have to spend in the room there. Um, oh, no, no, it hasn't <laughs> been nearly that bad. Uh, before we get to some of the current things, I do want to talk a little bit about your backstory and your background. And, and doing the research, Westlake High in Atlanta, that was kind of an athletic hotbed. It has been for a while. I was looking at the page. There's a lot of athletes in the last couple of generations is that just like a fostered environment where, I mean, obviously there's a lot of good natural athletes that have gone there, but a lot of your classmates, generation above you, have made pro careers for themselves. Absolutely. We have a Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner in Cam Newton. We have uh, a legendary, for multitude of reasons, NFL cornerback in Adam Pacman Jones. You have mm-hmm. myself, and we, we lay claim to who I call the fastest man in the world, a, kid, a guy named Christian Coleman, who actually went to Westlake only for a year before he transferred um, in track and field. Christian is the fastest American in the 100 meters. Yeah. Um, I think you guys are going to be seeing a lot of him very, very soon, and, and he's he's a good friend. So we have a lot of athletes that have come out. Unreal Howard, who was, I think, the Mississippi, she played college basketball at Mississippi State and Texas A&M. She's now in the WWE. So we've... We kind of we yeah. we have a large spectrum. We we have a lot of, and I'm I'm not naming some athletes. So if, right. if anyone from Wesley hears <laughs> this, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to shortchange you, but no, we have a lot of athletes coming out of the, the south side of Atlanta, southwest side to be more specific. And I think at this point now, we all take pride in it. We all try to cheer each other on. We all try to support each other, and it's pretty cool to say. You know, not that many high schools in that area have produced the amount of athletes that we have. Did you feel like Georgia Tech was? something you wanted to do since you were a kid i know you're an atlanta guy and absolutely was, not okay. no absolutely okay. not. i had no intention of, of ever <laughs> i mean i think part of it is because yeah. georgia tech was so close that yeah. i never really gave yeah. a, i never really thought that much about it i grew up uh watching you know georgia football on saturday oh wow that's, so that, that's what i wanted no i i didn't i wanted to go to georgia yeah. but at the time uh, i don't think they were really too high oh, on me okay. my, my ranking wasn't wasn't as high at that time where it ended my junior career um so it would have been a bit of a risk but I wanted to go to Georgia. That's exactly where I wanted to go. Oh. And, and and I think things worked out the way that they were supposed yeah. to. If I could do things all over again, I would still go to Georgia Tech. I would still play for Kenny Thorne. And at this point, I'm a yellow jacket through and through. Okay. Um, so I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, that love for Georgia quickly turned into hate. Uh, where we have what's called clean, old-fashioned hate. Um, so now I don't want to see them do well. They won the national <laughs> championship uh, in football. Yeah. I was upset. And, and all that, but no, I'm I'm a yellow jacket, and I'm I'm very thankful and very blessed to ha- even had that opportunity. Mostly clean, old fashioned hate, I think. Mostly so clean, old fashioned hate. I'm sure there's going to be some stories. I can tell you a story of playing <laughs> Wayne Montgomery in Athens, uh, indoors, and Wayne was an incredible player as well. And we were playing indoors during our dual match, and pretty rowdy atmosphere at that time. UG only had four indoor courts, so we're playing, and I think Wayne kind of gets me on the run. I'm scrapping balls out, trying to stay in it. I lose the point. And I'll never forget, I hear a man go, that's it, Wayne, run those skinny legs. And I looked at him. I couldn't tell exactly who it came from, 
But I just remember kind of looking back. I played the next point, played a really good point. Don't remember exactly what happened. And they got kind of rowdy. The crowd kind of cheered. I kind of looked in that direction, said some words I don't even remember, hoping it was clean. I don't, I'm not 100% yeah. sure, but that's just kind of the, the, yeah. the UGA Georgia Tech rivalry, clean, old-fashioned okay. hate. We all go at each other, but but uh, it's, uh, it's all in good fun. Did the rest of the family switch? Like, I mean, I know they supported you, but did they go to become Yellow Jackets? Oh, or? absolutely, but I don't think they really had – that much of a tie to University of Georgia. Okay. Um, but, you know, just you're yeah. local, you're in the state, you want to support right. that team. But, no, they are Yellow Jacket fans. I see my mom reposting tons of stuff. Nice. Georgia yeah. Tech Athletics. <laughs> my dad has tons of Georgia Tech gear. So we all we all kind of we jumped on the on the train. Well, I did also look up that there was a pretty famous football player there when you were there who's tearing it up in the NFL. Uh, Darren Waller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Darren Waller. I, I was trying to think. I'm like, we've had, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had a couple, but, uh, yeah, Darren Waller's <laughs> doing incredible things. We were there at the same time. I was a freshman, I believe, when Darren was a senior. They won the Orange Bowl my mm-hmm. freshman year, which we had. It was some, a good squad. We had some ballers on that yeah. team. Justin Thomas at quarterback, Sinjin Days. Uh, we had – we were balling, man. We had some good. DeAndre Smelter was another yeah. wide receiver. So for a team that ran the triple option, we had two NFL wide receivers on that team. So no, we did some good stuff. So that was a that year especially was really yeah. fun to cheer on Georgia Tech football. In in your career, you mentioned it didn't kind of work out. You know, wanting to go to Georgia and having to get your ranking up was it? Were you, would you consider yourself a late bloomer? Did, was there a growth spurt? I know you're a pretty tall guy. So was it you physically having to develop, or did your game just kind of develop? Like I, I think. I think there's a little bit of both. I don't think it's really set in stone to be one or the other. I think coming out of junior, when I was young, young, and young, young, I'm talking 9 and 10, I was very, very good for my age. My dad had kind of like a vision to say, you know what, instead of traveling all over the country to play the 12 and under nationals and the 14 and under nationals, when I became about 13, he started putting me in local 18s events as well. For one, it saved a lot of money because we didn't have to travel all Mm -hmm. over to get good competition. We could do everything locally, but also it gave me the opportunity to play against players who were bigger, stronger, hit bigger balls, and kind of made me adjust quickly. By the time I got to 15 or 16, I started training with Donald Young um, from high school. So I would go to high school all day. Um, Their club or tennis academy would pick me up after school, go to the tennis center. I would have to teach for about two hours, teach the kids in in the after school program tennis for about two hours. And then Donald would come out and we would practice certain days. Mr. Young, if Donald was out of town, would come and we would work on certain things. So that, I think, was probably the most pivotal part of my career just because not that many 15- and 16-year-olds have the opportunity to practice with a guy who's, at the time, 40 in the world. Like, that that's an opportunity yeah. that doesn't come around too often. So I'm extremely thankful for that. But that was, I think, the catalyst. It was like, okay, well – I'm going to regular school. I'm playing local tournaments. Yeah. I'm practicing with a pro, and I think that was a lot of the time what really kind of elevated my my stock. But I wasn't playing the national junior tournament, so I wasn't on a national scale. When that time came, when I was 17 and I got to play nationals, it was kind of like, hey, guys, I'm still here. I'm back. Yeah. A lot of my peers were like, we haven't seen you in a while. Were you still <laughs> playing? I'm like, yeah, I was just losing first round in local Georgia tournaments. But uh, now I'm kind of finding wow. myself and, and started to put things together. Donald Young had the legendary junior career. It was outstanding. And uh, that made me think the basketball documentaries that have come out in the last couple of years when Kobe said about playing against Michael Jordan, like I had to just feel, I had to physically feel him what this was like. So you're getting to actually feel what it's like to hit with a pro, the pace, and just you have to, if you're going to keep coming back, I would assume you have to get better and adjust. 100%. And it's going to change 100%. everything. And the thing at that time for me, it was 
how am I going to just give him a good practice? Because he <laughs> had, obviously he had the ability to call up tons of guys who could come to town, college guys who were more than willing to drive down and practice with him. But I wanted to be the guy. I wanted yeah. to be the first one you called. You need a hit, I'm there. So I had to f- kind of have my game style that would hopefully test him in practice. And I very rarely, I don't think I ever beat him in a practice set. <laughs> like it just never happened. But I knew that I had to take chances. I had to be aggressive because that's what guys were doing to him on tour. And I think it kind of helped me and helped me kind of own my own game style. And, and hopefully, well, not hopefully, it ended up paying <laughs> off in the long run. So, Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Got more with uh, Chris Eubanks here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, I want to get to some of the current storylines. We mentioned Djokovic. He's into the Belgrade sem- semis. Tournament at his tennis academy, not the highest level event for sure in terms of with the ranking points and whatnot. But this is, I think you would agree, about him getting back into elite level form. He's been pretty open about needing match play with everything that's went down. He's been practicing a lot. In the matches you've seen and you've called, are you seeing for lack of a better phrase, like the rust flying off, like he's starting to look like that guy that's a Grand Slam champion multi-times over? Absolutely. I'm starting to see the little, the sparks of the Novak of, of last year because Novak's year last year was incredible. <laughs> Novak's year last year was one of the greatest years that a tennis player has ever put together, one match short of the calendar slam. Like, it, it's absolutely incredible. But like you say, with the way that the year started off, he hasn't been playing many matches, just practicing. It's very, very tough to try to replicate match play situations in practice. So I'm, we're seeing glimpse. I think in the first match, he just had to kind of find a way, just give himself another chance to just keep going. Then against, against that was against Laszlo Jarrett. Then against Kekmanovic, we're starting to see more glimpse. I think Kekmanovic won the first set. Novak, again, when his back against the, is against the wall, he produces some of his best tennis. And then there were points, probably five or ten minute stints in that match, where we said, that's Novak. Yeah. That is, Novak is finding his form. And if he continues this, going to be really really scary in the next few weeks setting a break against Kekmanovic was Kekmanovic up he comes back wins the second and then he wins the last four I mean the finishing is the huge thing in that one obviously but he wins the last four games of that match you're starting to see that on any surface but he is like a well-oiled machine that he needs match play everybody I mean you yeah. probably experienced it yourself it's there's nothing like playing tennis nothing can replicate actually being in a match you could be in the greatest shape of your life but unless you're actually playing it's not the same yeah no it's totally different the pressures are totally different the feel like just what you feel all just the preparation getting up on match day getting your warm up and going back to the locker room kind of decompressing changing and then going back out there getting ready making sure you eat and all those other things that there's you're, we're very habitual like we yeah. we have our rituals we have our habits things that we like to do so to have that kind of disruptive for such a long stint of time, it's going to take some time. I don't think anybody really expected Novak to just be able to jump back in mm-hmm. and be the Novak that we saw before. Like we saw it in Dubai when he played Vesely, there was some rust. It was definitely been some rust here in Belgrade, but only thing that matters is that mm-hmm. he's finding a way to win. And I was thinking too, like the difference at this level and you've experienced it yourself. Like it's the margins are so thin. It's a couple points here or there. It's the mental side of being able to handle some of the pressure I was watching that Felix Francis Tiafo match today, and it was great. And it was so close. It was 
breaks here, breaks there. Felix is just a little bit ahead of Francis right now, but the level is not that much different. It's not. It's not. And I think you, you find that the more you kind of see guys play, and that was part of the reason that I really wanted to do commentary, is I feel like a lot of guys and uh, a lot of the women on the women's side, there's a certain level of subconscious disrespect that happens, I feel, <laughs> that when, if you're outside of a certain ranking, if no one yeah. knows your name, people almost treat you as if you're not a professional tennis player, as if you don't train four or five, six hours a day, as if you haven't been doing this since you were four or five years old. And I wanted to kind of give a perspective that's going to be more positive as opposed to just kind of what you might find from some people to be a bit demeaning of, you know, mm-hmm. these people. we're out here as yeah. professional tennis players. I know we might not be ranked as high as Felix. I know I might not be ranked as high as uh, Francis. I'm very well aware of that, and I'm not trying to argue that. My only point is if you see a player that's 150 and they put together some wins, mm-hmm. it's okay to say, you know what, they're having a career week, you know. But if you see a player that's 150 that's pushing a guy who's 10 in the world – there's no reason to make a statement like this guy shouldn't even be on the court with this player. Like th- yeah, th- that, yeah. that's kind of the, the yeah. what I would always hear and kind of always felt the type of way about. So I said, if I if given the opportunity to kind of do commentary, I want to try to be as positive as I can to players by still being fair and being critical if the time comes, you know? And, yeah, and, and that makes total sense. I also think most of these guys and women weren't like the the rocket, the silver spoon, so to speak, of just like Alcaraz is amazing and this is an unbelievable talent. But a lot of these players started in the lower ranks and had to grind to get there. And I don't think it's fair on the journey up or at a certain level to think, oh, well, this person isn't the same level of a professional. Like Absolutely. they're putting in the exact Absolutely. same time. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. Some people are able to progress through challenges quicker. Some people are able to pro- progress through futures quicker. I was able to thankfully get through futures pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still in the challenges and tour event and Grand Slam qualities, uh, but Still trying to find that, you know, ability, that level to recreate day in, day out. I think when I'm playing well, I am a top 100 player. But I have to, it's up to me and it's yeah. my responsibility, responsibility to put it together consistently and not just, you know, say, oh, well, I'm 150, so this guy or this player's 150. They're a journeyman. They, they, aren't, they aren't, you know, the same level as a guy who's top 20. It's like I've, I've beaten guys in the top 50. I've beaten yeah. guys top 100. Like I have the level, but – Let's not sit here and just act like it's right. completely out of the realm of possibility that I can beat a player that's, you know, 50 or 30 or 20 in the world. Yeah, and we see runs at all these slams of players that aren't in the top 100 going very deep, and it's not, you know, it's not just a one-off. This happens quite a bit. So. Yeah, you had Yuri Lahetchka in Rotterdam qualied in and semi against Stefanos and lost in three. Yeah. He just ended up beating Stefanos in the final, but he yeah. put together some really, really good wins, and then all of a sudden now he was – 130 before you would have you know said some things about him uh, and maybe not being of the same level but now you have a different respect for him Mm -hmm. when you see that 90 something in the world that 80 something in the world next to his name it's like still the same player you just put it together in the right week looking at this barcelona event the matches today does this like give you like an old school youth tennis junior feel like two matches matches in a day two matches in a day but seriously like you see it happen rarely like i was thinking like you see maybe one or two guys get kind of the unlucky breaks of the rain the day before. But to have everybody, it's probably the most fair way to do it. But to everybody has to play, too. It's got to give you some bad flashbacks. Just trying to think <laughs> about it again. And for me, it was more recent just because in college we would have double headers, which means yeah. we would have to play double singles. Yeah. You have a break, double singles. And when I think back to that, I go, how in the world did I ever play two matches in a day? Like, it just seems so <laughs> outlandish, like yeah. so inhumane now. To be young. But then <laughs> to be I think young. back and I go – 
I did this all the time. Yeah. What am I talking about? It's not that yeah. bad, you know. But no, to see these guys out there, Nori had an absolute war today, and he's got to come out in another, you know, after <laughs> the the Felix match and play again against Dimenauer, which you can expect to be another one. And he war. got a walkover, so he's a little rested. And he is ready to go. So <laughs> yeah. it's, go it's going to be interesting. I do think youth is probably favored in this one. Uh, you have you have the usual suspects on clay. Casper uh, Rude, Felix still going well. Sitsipas, Alcaraz. I just want to mention on Sitsipas, he's very, very established as a clay court player. Like, he looks like, obviously, Rafa and Novak are in a class of their own. But he looks like the next guy on this surface. And Completely agree. What is it about his game that translates here? I think, for one, his heaviness of shot. I think it doesn't really get shown that much on TV, but he has a very, very heavy ball. So I got to say that's number one. And two, his movement is so exceptional on the dirt. And he has, he does one thing that I think is, is extremely impressive. He does a lot of things I think are impressive, but the one that really, really sticks out right now, his ability to take time away on the clay. Clay typically involves kind of letting balls hit, go up, settle, come back down. Stefanos's, I think, signature shot is when he takes that forehand off the right leg, approaches line, and he can do it on a hard court. He can do it on grass. And those are a little uh, lend itself to be a little bit easier to do because you can trust the bounce. Yeah. Stefanos is doing it on clay, which means if he if he takes a forehand, you know, inside and high and heavy, and you leave that ball short trying to go cross, he's taking that ball on the mm -hmm. hop, coming in behind it, putting it away. I think that, along with his exceptional movement and his just weight of shot, contributes to him being, like you say, outside of Rafa Novak, the next best clay quarter in the world. He's very bold. You can even say the style of play on clay is arrogant, for lack of a better word. He's confident in his abilities. 100%, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. Well, he's got Alcaraz coming up to later today. We're going to see some great tennis He's there. He wants that one. I mean, yeah. two times in a row he's beaten him, but this yeah. is a different surface. And I like Alcaraz, obviously. I think – it's a little unfair maybe to him to just anoint someone so fast. This yep. is you know, the pro game, but yep. he's looked well this week. Uh, before I let you go here, just some thoughts on the women and looking at that tournament. Uh, Iga Svantec as the number one. I mean, this is almost like a power reign we're talking about. So she's a couple matches away from what would be her fourth straight tournament. We're not talking like white tournaments. We're talking the Sunshine Double, Doha. She's still just an unstoppable force. And you watch her play and you think, are there any – areas of her game that need and should be improved or can players target certain weaknesses? I think that's probably tough to say when a <laughs> yeah. player's on a win streak like yeah. this. I'm sure her coaches, they see her far more than I do day mm -hmm. in, day out. But just from what I've seen, she seems to have it all, man. She yeah. has the surf. She has the, her movement is so fun to watch. She can slide off right leg, slide off left leg, slide cross body if she has to. And I love to see her fight and her intensity on the court. Like when she's playing, yeah. she can be, it, it reminds me, and I hate to put them in the same sentence, but in terms of intensity, and I want to put the whole context in there, right, right, in right. terms of intensity, yeah. it seems eerily reminiscent of Serena in her prime. Right. Serena would be beating girls 4-1, 5-1, and still giving come-ons, still kind of scolding herself at errors. And you're looking at it from the outside, looking in, and you go, why is she upset or why is she so pumped? Yeah. She's, she's absolutely you know rolling right now. Right. But for her, the standard is so high that – that intensity has to be there in order for them to continue to be as great as they are. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Do I think she will have a career like Serena's? No, I'm not saying that. So that's that's <laughs> not even close to where yeah, I'm yeah. trying to go with it. But strictly from an intensity standpoint, yeah, yeah. 
I think that they both show that fire and that desire to want to win every single point, and I think it's extremely impressive. She said something uh, over a year ago when she lost to Simona Halep at the Australian Open that was like, I she had more options, she had more weapons than me. Yeah. And I feel like it was a targeted effort the last year and a half. Is like you said, the process of getting better as a tennis player to get to this point it doesn't happen. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Absolutely. She's been working on it. This is an opportunity for other players. Sabalenka still in it. Bedoza beat Jabor. She'll be number two next week. And Emma Raducanu getting some wins now. So that was somebody who it all came so fast winning the U.S. Open in your Quality first. Qualifying in <laughs> to win the U.S. Open. I mean, that is something that I'll probably never, like, I don't want to say never, but that's insane. That's a, that, that'd be a hard, <laughs> hard, like, that'd be a hard thing to do. I don't know how you, you can go from being in qualities. And yeah. we were there around the same time. Like, <laughs> I qualified in, she qualified in. It's all well and good. The only thing is she continued to go on and win seven more yeah. matches, and I lost to Francis in four. So, yeah. it's uh, no, it's truly incredible what she's been able to do, and you just kind of wish her all the best. I'm actually very happy for her to be able to play a match finally without the weight of expectation on her shoulder. I'm very excited to see the match with Iga. But she finally can just go out on the court, let go, play free, and then be yeah. like, you know what, I'm just going to have fun today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris Eubanks, Tennis Channel Inside In. This is fun. Uh, two quick things before I let you go. Number one being the uh, the wild card debate that Andy Murray has kind of brought up, um, or not brought up, but been at the center of. He's getting one to Madrid. Uh, Spanish players not happy about that. As someone that's maybe been in that position before, do you have a strong take one way or the other? Do you understand the tournament's perspective on this? I, I think I understand both sides. Mm -hmm. I, I've been in these discussions, mm -hmm. not in these discussions, but I've been a recipient of wild cards and, and I'm sure that there were other players that maybe didn't feel like I was as deserving. I understand that. Like mm -hmm. I, I never felt any type of ill will toward the players yeah. because, and I don't think they felt any ill will towards me because all you can do is apply. And if you're granted it, like, what do you want me to do? Kind of turn it down. Yeah. Um, so I understand both sides. I think both the players also understand that wild cards are kind of a mix of merit and business. And they're trying to walk a line in between but I think, for instance, some of the Spanish players, when you're in it, you feel that, you know, there there's a there's an argument to be made that having more Spanish players in the draw is good for business. And if they have the merit, then why not? So I think from their perspective, they're like, we understand the the intricate details of being given a wild card and who it's given to. Everyone understands that it's a gift. But if the rationale behind it is, like you say, business for ticket sales mm -hmm. and TV rights and yeah. merit, who's the most deserving. You have, I'm sure they feel as though they're Spanish players who are deserving, who check off both of those yeah. boxes. It's just up to the tournament's discretion at that point. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't think Andy Murray is going to turn down a wild card. I, I, I don't know this for a <laughs> fact, so, yeah. uh, but I, I think he even made a statement of, I'll play qualities if I ha I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he um, said if 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 that's what they asked me. If that's yeah. what they asked him yeah. to do, he'll play qualities and he'll be he'll be completely fine with it. And um, but listen, if you're Andy Murray, you've yeah. been one in the world and you are an Olympic gold medalist. You've won Wimbledon. Yeah. I think that you know, people will <laughs> kind of understand at least from a business standpoint. It's like, yeah. hey, this is Andy yeah. Murray. How do For you say? Sure. That? Especially on merit. Maybe the scale sway more toward merit than business, and it's a kind of a sliding scale, but. 
I think Andy Murray is uh, he's more than deserving of, of what he receives at this point. Last thing I have for you, what was it like to see your friend, budding friend, Naomi Osaka at your match in Dallas? Oh, that was a blast, <laughs> man. That was a blast. I, I honestly I wasn't sure she was gonna come. It just the schedule was just kinda aligned perfectly where boyfriend Corday was performing, was originally supposed to perform earlier in the week. I wasn't gonna be able to go, but ended up coming uh due to some weather delays, ended up performing, I believe, that Saturday night. And I knew she was in town. I sent her a text. I said, hey, I'm playing at SMU if you want to come. Kind of just throwing it out there. And she goes, okay, what time? So in my head, I'm like, what time? Okay, I'm first up at 11. Uh, yeah. She's like, I'll go here. I don't want to put any pressure on you. What I'll do is I'll send you the ticket, QR code, and if you want to come, you can. She's like, all right, thanks. Didn't really hear anything else. So the morning of, I'm like, I warm up. I'm checking my phone. I'm like, gosh, she's probably not coming. And then I go, Hey, like, are you, she, I think she maybe messaged me, are you still up at 11? So at this point, I'm like, are you coming? She's like, yeah. So I give her my coach's number. I said, hey, if you run into any problems, just call him. I tell my coach, I was like, Naomi's coming. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> she has any issues, please take care of yeah. it. So she ends up coming to the match. And ironically enough, I think she got there maybe a few games in, and I saw her in the corner hiding, like kind of has this yeah. nice little yeah. big throw over her shoulders, bucket hat, glasses, and a mask. I knew it was her immediately. But a couple of the ushers were kind of talking to her in the corner. I wasn't sure if they were not allowing her to sit down or they recognized her and they wanted to have a conversation. So I'm sitting there and I'm playing my match against J.J. Wolf, and and I'm not proud of it, but my mind is supposed to be on the match. I'm thinking, like, is, my, like, is she about to get hounded? Are these people going to whatever? Yeah. So I go to my – when we change sides and I'm on the side where my coach is sitting, I said, homie's in the corner, like, make sure she's good. <laughs> I talked to her after the match. She goes, oh, yeah, they just wanted to talk. It was fine. Like, and then she came. <laughs> she sat in the, the box with my yeah. coach, started to get recognized a little bit towards the end. Yeah. People were kind of asking for pictures, but she took it like a champ. She's awesome, man. And that, honestly, that really meant the world to me. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad it was, it's something that, uh, you know, obviously meant a lot to you to have her there. And it was cool. It was great. You Absolutely. guys have, have helped each other out a lot. Well, Chris, this was fun. Uh, save some stuff for next time. Like, you know, your favorite karaoke song. <laughs> I can't believe you pulled <laughs> well, that one out. I didn't, well, yeah, we, there's, some, there's some dirt there. But oh, we, man. We you kept did your classy. digging. You're yeah. Narwhal, huh? Yeah, definitely. Chris, hey, best of luck on your uh, tennis career going forward. Still a lot left of that. Don't make this full-time yet. You've got a lot of years before <laughs> that's going to happen. But obviously, keep up the good work both broadcasting and on the court. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was Chris Eubanks on Tennis Channel Inside In. If you like the show, we're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with another show as the road to Roland Garros rolls along. For Chris Eubanks, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.